Moses and an estimated 2 million Hebrews crossed the Red Sea. Now if we look at a map, we'll see that they started off in a town called Ramses in the region of Goshen. And the Promised Land is on the other side of the Mediterranean. So, the direct route from Ramses to the Promised Land is demonstrated with this route. But, God did not take them this way. Well, why not? Well, first, because this route was well established and known as the Way of Horus, or the Way of the Sea. It was a trade route controlled by the Egyptians, so going this way simply would not get them away from Egyptian control. The second reason is because God wanted to bait Pharaoh's army into the Red Sea. Yeah, chapter 14, 1-4 says that. And finally, because God wanted to take them into the Sinai wilderness to give them the Ten Commandments. So, the actual route the Israelites took looked probably similar to this. They started off in Ramses and went to Succoth, then went to Etham, and then to Pi-Hararoth to bait as a trap for Pharaoh. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land and traveled into the wilderness of Shur, to Mara, then the wilderness of Sinai, and then to Mount Sinai. After Sinai, the plan was to go straight into the Promised Land, but they rejected God, so they wandered the desert for 40 years. So, there you go. A little bit about Moses' escape route, and that's enough today for our historical minute. Let us pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the cool weather that we woke up to this morning. We thank you for the rain that's watered our grass and our plants and all sorts of things. We thank you just for those reminders, Lord, that you're still in control, that you still have this way of blessing us, even in the midst of life as it comes at us. And so we pray, Lord, as we go through these pages of Exodus, that you would continue to remind us that you are able, that there's nothing that's impossible for you, that you love us and are faithful to your promises, and that you got us as we walk through life. And those are my three prayers tonight. We pray that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. So we're picking up in Exodus 12, beginning with verse uh, 14. Um, and just as a, a little bit of a, a descriptor, uh, we're getting into the 10th plague. God is sharing with Moses some things that are about to go down. We're just getting ready for the Passover. They actually pass over. The angel of death would pass over all of Egypt, killing all the firstborn. And so that's kind of the, the time frame that we're talking about. And so I'll pick up in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. And so God's saying, I'm going to do something pretty amazing here. I'm going to rescue you from Egypt. I'm going to get you out of this place. I'm going to do it in a way that Pharaoh and his officials and the people could never imagine. They've just experienced nine plagues, but that was nothing compared to this one. At the end of this one, they're going to beg you to leave. And so I need you to be ready. I need you to, to eat and I need you to cook things and, and let's cook le unleavened bread because the leavened bread is going to take too long. And so let's cook unleavened bread and have that ready to go because when I do this, they are going to basically force you out quickly. And so I need you to think about all these things. And after this is all done, I want you to celebrate what I've done every single year throughout all the generations. So he says, this shall be a memorial day for you. She'll keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. It'll be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was going to be done every single year. It was a seven-day span. On the first day, they celebrated the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the seventh day, they celebrated the Passover when God would come over and, 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 and rescue Egypt or rescue Israel from Egypt. And it was just this amazing thing. When Israel, all the way through its history, would celebrate that, it was a time of closeness to God. 
a time of celebration for what he had done. And as you go through the history of Israel, you'll see that there's times that they just didn't. Time of rebellion, time of seeking other things, idolatry and the such. But whenever they would do this and host this, it was kind of a, a remembrance again of what God did. And that's what he intended it to be. He wants us to remember. Anybody, you know, when I keep saying that God has all these promises in Scripture, why don't we just cling to those all the time? And the answer is because we forget. We get so caught up in the moment, so caught up with life, so caught up in the difficulty that we stop thinking about God, stop remembering his promises, and we start freaking out. And then we go to church, hopefully, and we hear one of those promises, and we're like, oh, yeah, God's got us. Oh, yeah, I'm forgiven. Oh, yeah, he's working all things for my good in the midst of this. And all of a sudden, it gives us that remembrance that God is still with us, and it gives us hope and perseverance and strength to get through the time. So he says, I want you guys to do this throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread wasn't necessarily anything spectacular. In fact, it was bread without the stuff that made it rise, right? Pita. Maybe think pita. I don't know. Unleavened bread. Um, but because of the urgency of which they would leave, because this was a mark of this Passover night, it was to be done in remembrance of what God has done. In many ways, it was kind of like, uh, it, it wasn't, but it was kind of like one of the sacraments, right, of the Old Testament. I want you to use this, not because it gives special things, but because it gives this idea of remembrance of how amazing I am, how I rescued you. Sacraments are different. They're actually give stuff, but, but in this sense, it was just that remembering idea. So I want you to use this as a way to remember, and I want you to do it for a whole week, every single year, for the rest of time. I want you to keep doing that. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So this was what we call non-optional, okay? You just would do it. And if you didn't do it and you rebelled against this command to, do, to, to celebrate this feast, to not get rid of the leaven, you are either kicked out of Israel, which at this point meant, I don't know, go find someplace else to live, or you were killed, or you were, I mean, there's different ideas of what being cut off meant, but it wasn't a good thing. And so this was something, again, remember, God was teaching them what it meant to follow him. And the Old Testament is called the law. The first five books are called the law for a reason. And God was laying out, this is what it looks like to follow me. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not asking you to do this. I'm telling you to do this. God is the God of God, is the King of King. When he says jump, we should really be saying how high. We don't in our culture today, but when God speaks, we should be like, yeah, we know that's the right way. We know this is more beneficial to us. We know that this will help us remember you. This is, this is a way that we worship you. It's a way that we thank you. We should, that's what the law means. It means follow me. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. How much more so is that true of God? So on the first day, you should hold a, a, a holy assembly. On the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. So a mandatory vacation every single year. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may he may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout all your generations as a statute forever. In the first month and the fourteenth day of the first month of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. 
For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. And then he says it again, as if to reemphasize it. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or native of the land. See, God rescued Israel, Israel from Egypt. They'd been in bondage a long time. They had forgotten a lot of God's truths, forgotten some of his promises. God was helping them re-remember. He was showing them and demonstrating his power. And now he was rescuing them. And he says, this is what it means to be my holy people. And the first thing that it means is that I want you to remember the cool stuff that I've done. I want you to remember that I'm able so that when you start getting afraid, you can go, wait a minute, we have God. I, I want you to remember that I've got you. And that way, when I make a promise, you're like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but he's going to come through with this. I want you to remember that I love you, that you are my special treasure, that you are my people. I want you to remember, and this will keep you close. And this ultimately will give you peace. This is what it looks like to be my people. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places and shall eat unleavened bread. A question from last week says, if the Israelites had livestock and they weren't inside the houses during the night and they had put blood on the doorpost still, would the first born of the livestock still be killed or would it have been spared because they had still put blood on the doorpost? Um, scripture doesn't tell us, although there was a pretty uh, stringent encouragement not to go outside the door of your house. I mean, and he was, don't break that, right? I mean, the blood on the door, remember we talked about it being the entrance into the door. Remember, idolatrous cultures would put little idols on the, on the, on the, on the mantle of the door and the, and the door frames and just inside the door as a protection because they entered through the door or that was their belief. God's saying, don't go inside the door. You are protected in that house. Stay in that house. What that meant for the livestock, I don't know. You don't get the sense that they were all killed, but I don't, I don't, I don't have that information. Scripture doesn't tell us, in other words. Uh, why don't we celebrate the Passover? And that's a great question. And the answer to that is, what did they do on the Passover? They sacrificed a lamb and celebrated God passing over them, rescuing them, right, from certain death, from slavery, from all those different things. Um, Jesus is really that perfect lamb. And when he died and rose again, he says, I give you victory over sin, death, and the devil. I give you victory over all those things. You are free, right? You are free. And, and because of Jesus, we don't, I guess he fulfilled the Passover in every perfect way, right? And so we don't celebrate the Passover anymore. If you want to, it's kind of a cool thing. It's a, another way for us to remember how cool God is, right? I think it would be a cool thing just for a week to do that and, and, and just to remember that God is able. I, I guess that's for me, that, that's one of the biggest takeaways here. There's nothing in our lives that God can't come through on. Does that make sense? He's got you. No matter what's your fear, no matter what this thing that you're facing at work or your health issues or financial issues, or God says, I always make it possible for you to be faithful. Follow me. And I got gotcha. you. Trust me. And I got gotcha. you. And it's not just that he can do the plagues. We're going to go through some other pretty amazing things. The angel of death, right? That's a pretty powerful thing. They're going to split the Red Seas. Again, that's a pretty powerful thing. There's nothing in your life that you need to be afraid of because you've got God. Even death. Because of Jesus, do we really need to be afraid of death? Maybe how we die, we might not be excited about that, but, but death in and of itself. And I talk about this a lot, but it's just an interest, in, entrance 
into our reward, in, into our prize, into our very great paradise. It's being with God himself. It's experiencing the joy and the glory of what it is to be around him. It's giving us that purpose that he designed us to have from the beginning. It's all those amazing things. I used to have a, there used to be a guy that came here and he would, he's going through a series of several surgeries and it was toward the end of his life and he'd go into the surgeries and he'd say, Pastor, it's a win-win. I said, what are you talking about? If I don't wake up, I win. <laughs> and if I wake up, I win. Because I'll either be with the Lord or I'll be with my family and both are wins to me. And for a Christian, there should be no fear of death because your ultimate win is to go to heaven and be with not just Jesus, but all of your relatives that have gone before that have held to him. It's a big reunion. It's a party. It's, it's the way God designed it from the beginning. So he goes on and says, Then Moses called the elders of, the, of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And then it says this, None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. So take that for what it is. For the Lord will pass through and to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the, on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Now, you can imagine God giving us these directions today and even Christians kind of saying, well, how serious is God about this? Let's go see, you know? I, it turns, probably turns out that wouldn't have been a very good idea if you were a firstborn, right? But they had just seen nine plagues. They had seen God's mighty power. They had seen how serious God's was. I guarantee you nobody went outside the door. None of you shall go outside the door of the house until morning for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not let, allow the destroyer to enter your, their houses and strike you. I want you to think about this. We have a funny culture today. Um, they maybe know God's word or they hear God's word and they immediately feel, I guess, the authority to reject it and pretend as if it's nothing. When ultimately, God's truth is eternal, and it is ultimate, and it's the only thing that's true 6,000 years ago as it is today. It's always going to be true. It's uh, efficacious when you follow it. It's detrimental when you don't follow it. It's just something that's always true. It's like the law of gravity. It's just the way God designed it from the very beginning. And yet you think about how our culture wages against his word. You think about some of the anger of which they can exhibit toward believers that are sharing God's word. Then you think if you could manifest all that rage and you could set up an army against God, what would it accomplish? I mean, there's examples. I mean, he just sends out an angel of death and at midnight, so it wasn't like over five hours, at midnight, all the firstborn of Egypt died. And their cattle, firstborn of the cattle. And all the other animals at midnight, they were all gone. There was Assyrians, they were camped up against Israel and in other parts of Scripture, and at night, 100,000 of them died. Is there anything that can stand up against God? And it's when you come across parts like this in Scripture that you remind yourself that my God is able to do anything. And if my God is able to do anything, then nothing is hopeless in my life. Can we embrace how important that is? Because when you lose hope in God, you can get depressed really quickly. 
you can lose perspective really quickly because what you can control is pretty limited. And there's lots of stuff that we can't control that we start worrying about and freaking out about and stressing about. If you remember that God is able and that he loves you and that he is for you and that he's still, even in the midst of the messes of your life at times, still working things for your good, it gives you a perspective to look at life that gives you peace in the midst of the storm. I still love this example, and maybe it was different for you growing up, but I remember when I was little, I had a problem. I'd go tell my mom or my dad, and my dad said he's got it. <laughs> that was good enough for me, right? I, I didn't worry about it anymore. I didn't stress about it anymore. Dad's got it. If Dad said he wouldn't say that he's got it unless he's got it, so he said he got it. And it gave me a peace in the midst of whatever I was going through, right? If we could look at God, the Father, like that, it would give us a resource to have peace in the midst of the storms of life. A confidence that somehow, someway, he's still gonna work it out for our good. And don't we freak out about a lot of stuff, financial, health-wise, I mean, relational, I mean, you name it. But we trust that he's still there. We trust that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the stress, that somehow God is still working. Even when we can't control a lick of it, God is still working. Great is the power of God, and so at midnight, this destroyer comes through, destroys just everything, right? all the firstborn. Um, i got to find where I am. Anybody know? Uh, I'm just going to pick one. Okay. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt, and when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. So Moses is sharing this with the elders, saying, this is all what's going to go down, and this is going to be awesome, and we're going to celebrate it forever so that we don't ever forget what God has done for us tonight. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. The tenth plague. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Just as a side note, think about the devastation they've already had economically. Now, in the midst of this, not only did they lose their kids... They lose a whole bunch more of their food supply. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. I want you to think about that too. This is so often a narrative, and, and, they, and we celebrate it because of God's power and because of the freedom that he won, the Israelites. But as you go through, there's some sorrow here. When people rebel against the Lord, right? When they cease to see him as one who is able, when they cease to see him as one who cares, when they cease to see him as one who loves them, who cares for them, who's forgiven them, and they walk away from him as so much of our culture seems to be doing today, that should grieve our hearts because there's a spiritual death happening. And that spiritual death doesn't just end in this life, it continues in the next there should be a great sadness when we see people in our life that are walking away from God, rebelling against him. And if we love them, we should try to share with them about Jesus again, about God's love, about what forgiveness really is, about hope. 
if we care about the people in our life and we don't want to see them in hell forever, we got to start talking to them. Our culture, we're losing. I know for so many of you, you grew up in a kind of a church culture, right? Or at least a Christian culture. It was the center of a lot of stuff for a lot of years. I've shared the stats where if you're a boomer, right? Almost everybody you knew had been to church at least once. My generation, the Gen Xers, it's about half the people have been to church at least once. Millennials, it's about a third of them have been to church at least once. Two generations, we lost two thirds of the Christians in our country. In one generation, from boomer to Gen X, we lost half of them. If you're a believer and if you love people in your life, you got to stop waving at them like they're on the Titanic saying, have a good trip, right? Because that's what we so often do. And I know that our hearts are hardened a little bit and just say, well, that's the path they've chosen or that's the, the way they're doing stuff. And I've tried to share stuff in the past, but they just don't care. If you really love them, don't you keep trying? We got to keep taking the opportunities that God gives us. We got to keep trusting that when we share God's word, that the spirit goes out and it's not us doing anything, it's God doing stuff. The beautiful thing about sin, and I'll just share this with you, the beautiful thing about sin is that it always leads to negative consequence. And if it always leads to negative consequence, there's going to be plenty of opportunity when life just starts to implode on people in your life that you love. And you will have an opportunity always, because sin always has consequence, to begin sharing with them anew about who God is. There should be a sadness. I mean, just... A sadness when we read through that all these kids died because of the rebellion of their parents. Because of their not acquiescing to a God that was clearly powerful. He goes on and says, um, and Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said up, Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as he have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. No qualifications for the first time. No trying to control. No strings involved. Just go. My son's dead. Your God killed my son. Go. The Egyptians too. From the littlest to the oldest, were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. And so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being found, bound up in their cloaks on and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have whatever they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians... God says when you go out, you're not going to go out empty-handed. I'm going to give you reward for all the suffering that you've experienced. You think if God was coming after them, after the Egyptians with an army, he would take spoil. And they took spoil. And the Egyptians, though, they gave it to them freely. We've got to appease this God. Let them go and let them take whatever they want so they stop this destruction can you see how desperate they were to get rid of God's anger toward them? They would have given them anything, and they did. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Most uh, uh, scholars kind of agree that that's probably a, a number of around 2 million people. 
you know. A mixed multitude also went with them, so it had been an excess of two million people, and very much livestock and flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes and of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was about 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Do you get how important it is to put things in your life that help you remember? It was, as Moses goes through the law, he says at some point, he goes, I want you to put these little phylacteries, and I want them to kind of go here, and they're little pouches where you put verses of Scripture that help you remember, right? And they keep hitting you on the head, right? As a way to remind yourself. I I had a a college ring for a lot of years, and on the ring it said um, 1993, because I was a little slow, and it was going to take me five years to graduate college. But I ended up graduating in 92, but I never changed the ring from 93 to 92 because it was a reminder to me that I didn't trust God. And I never wanted to do that again. And so I had this little ring that was a reminder to trust God in every circumstance and to trust him in the good times and the hard times. And I just would wear it for all these years. And I got married and I thought, I just wanted one ring on. So I just didn't change it. Uh, now I remember that I'm married, which is really good. Okay. Um, and then I also had this cross and it was given to me, I, I, I don't know, I think as a confirmation gift. And, and it was really pointy. Like, it, I think it was flat and, and it would jab me all the time. It, but I kept wearing it. You know Why? Because every time it jabbed me, it reminded me that it was the cross and that I was loved by God. Do you get how helpful sometimes those things are in the midst of life? I started stressing a little while ago, and so on my phone, I put this little, this little thing that just basically says, God's gotcha. And so whenever I start stressing and I go to my phone, which apparently is more often than I like to admit, it says, God got me. I love those things. Do you see how it's helpful to have things in your life that help you remember Man, I wish, I I wish this was the case, that every one of you guys spent an hour, two hours a day studying God's word and getting to know him and hearing from him in person and just, just being amazed at how much he cares about you. Man, we got life and there's so much going on and it's hard of us to dedicate anywhere close to that amount of time at times. So we need things in our life that remind us, I haven't been with God today. Or remind us that God's got me. Or remind us that God loves me. Or remind me that just God's there. I'm not alone. We need to kind of put things in our life that are helpful. And so God says, I'm going to put one thing in your life that's helpful. Every year, you're going to remind yourself of this. We got Easter, right? What does Easter remind you of? Jesus crucified and risen again. You have Easter or Christmas. What does that remind you of? That we matter to God and he sent us his son so that he could save us. We got these things in our church calendar, and yet it seems like those are the two we gravitate to the most, but they're reminders that God loves us. And so God puts this amazing reminder in their life and says, I need you to keep remembering this. Because if you forget, you'll start to try to take control of things yourself. And then you're going to start to rebel. And then you can lose everything. I need you to remember. I need you to remember. And so many of those people in our life that seemingly have turned away from the Lord, in many ways they've just forgotten. They've forgotten how much God cares about them. 
They're mad at him for some reason in their life because he didn't come through on this or that. They've forgotten how much God loves them. So where am I now? I keep losing my place tonight. Um, Institution of the Passover, I guess, right? 40, where? 43, thank you. And the Lord said, that will sound good on the recording. He doesn't know where he is. Okay. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. And no foreigner or hired servants may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Kind of an interesting um, commentary, thinking that Christ is the perfect Passover lamb. In one of the prophecies, none of his bones were broken. Interesting thing there. If a stranger, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then they may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. And there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. In other words, and this is not optional either, Unless you're a circumcised believer, don't eat the Passover throughout all the generations. And we think, well, that sounds pretty narrow, except I just would throw this at you. Don't we have restrictions on the Lord's Supper? If you don't believe in Jesus and him crucified, if you don't believe in the true body and blood of our Lord being present and that he's actually with us and in us as we partake, that he's giving us forgiveness, that he's giving us strength, then what does Paul say? We can eat and drink to our judgment. Same kind of thing, isn't it? This is for believers only. This is for people who love me only. And when it's done in that way, it is incredibly efficacious. It is incredibly awesome because we get all these amazing things. I don't know why you would take it if you didn't believe, right? But God just says don't do it. And a sign is a little tougher uh, admission to, uh, to membership, but if you want to be a member at our church, right, or in this place, you, you have to get circumcised. Phew, that new member class is going to be rough, right? right? Um, but it was a sign that you said God is my God. We get up on confirmation and say Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It meant something totally, I'm all in if God is my God, right? Especially as a male, especially as one that's uncircumcised, I am all in and I want to be able to celebrate the Passover. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord, all, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. It's an incredibly important verse because it just says this. God is faithful to his promises. 400 plus years ago, he tells Abraham... Yeah, you're going to be in a foreign land for 400 plus years. They're going to be mistreated. But then after that time, I'm going to bring them out. 400 plus years later, he does this very thing that he had promised to Abraham way back in the day. The thing that Joseph was looking forward to. And when he went there and he told his brothers, he says, you take my bones out of this land when you go back to the promised land. Again, a visual, something to help them remember. And what's cool as you go through this, you see that they did that. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And then it says this, I got some time. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first open to the womb among the people of Israel, both of men and beast is mine. 
And so God says this, when I passed over everybody, I protected you because of the blood of the lamb. You were safe because of the blood of the lamb. Now is a way to celebrate that. Whenever you have a firstborn, whether it be of animal or of child, I want you to dedicate it to me. And what that meant in the animal kingdom, it meant that you were going to sacrifice a pleasing offering to the Lord. And if it was a, an unclean animal, you wouldn't sacrifice it. And that's why they use the donkey as an example of that. You would break its neck. But again, you were essentially sacrificing it and thanksgiving to the Lord. David one time in the midst of a plague, he was offered a hilltop and he was offered all the animals that he wanted to, to do this sacrifice to the Lord, right? And he said this, he said, I will not give an offering to the Lord that cost me nothing, right? When you would sacrifice to the Lord, whether it be for repentance or whether it be for thanksgiving, you were giving of your property, of your animals, and you were saying, God, you are so important that I'm willing to do this because you're my God. And because you rescued me from Egypt, and I want to thank you every time I have a firstborn that is born, I'm going to thank you for doing that amazing thing for me. And if it's my son, he gives us a redemption issue, right? So he says, I want you to redeem that son. I want you to redeem him. And that, and end up with that money, whatever that would go, that's again saying, God, I love you so much. I'm giving you this to thank you for what you've done. You know, you talk about, well, I don't have time to go into all that, but Anyway, so we're going to end there. Actually, I have a question. We'll end with the question. Pharaoh asked them to pray for him. And I missed that point, so thank you for bringing that up. One of the things that Pharaoh does when he says, get out of here, is he says, and pray for the Lord to bless me. The God that he mocked early on, like, who is he? The God that demonstrated his power through ten plagues. Pharaoh finally submits, falls to his knees and said, pray to the God that just conquered me to bless my family. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever lost a kid, but that brings you pretty low. He was devastated. He was responsible. And it wasn't just him, it was all his people. I don't know if you've ever been a leader of people, but that just grieves your heart as well when you're responsible for the pain that they're feeling. He was so humbled, he said, I need him to pray for me. It's an amazing confession of somebody by the world. It's, in many ways, it's like my buddy. You know, when he was going through his divorce, and I'd share with him God's word over and over, he'd say, man, God's smart. <laughs> man, if I would just embrace this stuff, I can see how my life would be a little bit different. And then the stupidity of my friend, he just doesn't do it, right? But, but even he can confess an agnostic, right, or somebody that doesn't want to follow the Lord right now because he wants to be in charge. He can at least kind of celebrate that the Lord is good. That he can tell he's a loving God because of the things he tries to protect us from. That there's wisdom in his word. It's amazing, but not always surprising, that the world sometimes sees God for who he is before we can. And so we celebrate those moments when God comes through in powerful ways. What does it mean to dedicate the firstborn person to God? We'll get into that next week, and I'm going to pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for tonight. We, we thank you for reminding us, first and foremost, that you're able. And not just that you're able, Lord, but that you use that power that you have in our lives because you love us. Because ultimately, one day, you want us to be with you in heaven. Because we're your kids, and and man, do you want to bless us in life except when you need to teach us something? 
about how to trust you more, about how to see you for the God that you are, a God of love, a God that continues to care even in the midst of hard times. You need to remind us that you're with us. God, there's so many things over and over that we need to be re-reminded of and you just have often hard times to bring those things forward and yet you are God that continues to love us and to care for us. And so tonight we just pray to help us see and help us remember just how amazing you are. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.